You're listening to the Real Estate Insider Podcast, a bold look at reality, news, analysis, strategies, and opinions, direct from the veteran team at the Rain Research Institute, with today's host, senior analyst, and best-selling author, Don R. Campbell. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Real Estate Insider Podcast. My name is Don Campbell. And I am the senior analyst for the Real Estate Investment Network. Today, we have a special presentation on the podcast from Todd Hirsch. Todd Hirsch is the senior analyst for the Alberta Treasury branch. This presentation by Todd was recorded in August 2015. Oil prices had just crashed down to $40. There's a lots of confusion in the Alberta real estate market. And because the Alberta economy is so important to the overallness of Canada's success, we thought we'd share this whole presentation with everybody. What you'll find with Todd is that he brings a real dose of reality. He's not gonna tell you it's all great. He's not gonna tell you that it's the world is ending. But please make sure you understand that this impact of Alberta and the oil price affects every market across the country. So without any further ado, here is Todd Hirsch. So anybody here interested in which direction Alberta may be going over the next little while, raise your hand. It's great to be able to dive a little bit deeper into the world. We've had Todd Hirsch, our next speaker, on this stage for many, many years, years after year after year. And you know what? It's fantastic to hear Todd in the great times. You know, his pictures are fantastic, his stories are great, and he could just come up here and pretty well say nothing, and we would all applaud because we were in Alberta. But it's more important when the times are a little bit bumpy, and there have been a few that we, we've had you on their stage. Um, this is not our first rodeo, economic rodeo. Um, but it's more important now, during these times, to get Todd's insights. So Todd Hirsch, um, you know, <laughs> There are maybe three economists on the planet, and I am over, I'm not overstating this, who I rely upon for reliable, non-emotional, real clear insights into a marketplace. And Todd is definitely on the top of that list. And, you know, he works uh, at uh, ATB or works for ATB or however you want me to put that. But, but frankly, um, his ability to see the market and to kind of bring some reality to the tough times and some excitement around the great times um, is second to none. Yeah, I know I get to do this every single month with you with, with what's behind the curtain, et cetera, but, but, but it's an absolute pleasure to have Todd here. Todd Hirsch, BA Honors in Economics of U of A, don't hold that against him, but the Economics of U of C as well, so he's got his master's here, so you know. He completed his education in 2003. He's held a series of econ economic positions at a variety of for-profit and public sector organizations, including the Canada West Foundation, uh, CP Rail, and the Bank of Canada. You guys know the Bank of Canada, right? Okay, good. Uh, he joined ATB in uh, May 2007 as a senior economist, uh, where he provides economic information. Uh, and by the way, um, write this down. You're going to take notes. You are going to take notes today, by the way. It's really important. But you should really subscribe to The Owl which is, uh, how often do you guys put that out now? Is it every single day? So um, 
you're, you're going to subscribe to the OWL. It's at the ATP website, and uh, because the insights that come out of that on a daily basis are, are market commentary. Um, Todd is my go-to guy when it comes to Alberta, and um, there is no better introduction than to say Todd is my go-to guy before I come up and talk to you guys. So a man I trust, a man I understand, and whose forecast, because I've gone back to your forecast many times, uh, one of the most accurate forecasters and realists that we know is an economist. Please give a warm, warm welcome to Todd Hirsch, everybody. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. It's very kind of you. They're all yours. Thank you, Don. Boy, it's always so... Uh, so encouraging when Don uh, introduces me, all these nice things he said about me. So thank you very much for that uh, warm introduction. And it is wonderful to be back in Calgary. Calgary is my home. I was momentarily banished up to Edmonton for last night. Edmonton is my hometown. So I have to say nice things about Edmonton. Where there was no rain or snow yesterday at all, I have to say. <laughs> But it was nice to uh, drive back this afternoon to Calgary and see lots of sunshine, even though the warmth might not be here yet, but it is uh, a beautiful day. Nice drive back on the QE2. Nice to be here this afternoon. I wish we had some more upbeat things to talk about in the economy. This is a, it's a tough period for me. If you've seen me talk before, you know that I am the glass is half full kind of guy. I like to accentuate the positive. I have to be realistic at all points, but we are in a much different situation in Alberta than we even were about two and a half months ago. Back in June, my team and I, we were putting together our Q3 outlook for Alberta's economy, uh, which we released at the beginning of July. Uh, and by the way, the secret to good forecasting is revise frequently. <laughs> yeah. And I'm learning the truth of this like I've never learned it before. We're now, uh, as we get into September, we will be updating our forecast. Our Q4 forecast will be released October 1st. And there will be some revisions, which I'll kind of give some hints about by the end of the presentation. But we have seen this wild, dramatic summer. I, don't, I can't remember uh, July or August where things going on in the global economy were this unsettled. Usually, and you guys probably understand this, you probably spend a lot of time following markets and things. It's usually once we get into September and October where everything kind of goes haywire for a while. I don't know if maybe it's just come early this year. That's what I'm hoping. I hope this isn't a precursor to even you know, bigger volatility in September and October. But we have seen an unusually rocky, bumpy uh, July and August, when it comes not only to Alberta's economy, but when it comes to global financial markets, uh, global uh, uh, countries, economies around the world. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about this afternoon. The title, Losing Balance, Regaining Control, an Alberta Economic Forecast for 2016. Balance is a beautiful thing, isn't it? When things are, are in balance, it's a beautiful thing to watch something being balanced. There's a lot of uh, cultures and even religions that, you know, the yin and yang, where things are in harmony. And it really is quite remarkable to see things in perfect balance. Sometimes, however, things uh, seem like they should be in balance, but they're not in balance. And we might for a while sort of delude ourselves to thinking that we were experiencing balance when really a lot of imbalances were starting to build. And I'm going to come back to that metaphor when we talk about Alberta. 
When I get to the piece on Alberta, I want to argue that over the last five years, it seems like we were seeing balance and harmony, but in fact, what we were seeing is a lot of imbalances building up, and in 2015, those imbalances have come home to roost, and I'll say more specifics about what those imbalances are. Sometimes when things are out of balance, it can be quite comical, especially if you're this poor mule. I'm sure he's not too happy about this situation. Uh, Sometimes things can be kind of comical, but when things are out of balance, but a lot of times things aren't very funny at all. And when we talk about an economy like Alberta's or like Canada's for that matter, uh, or for any number of economies around the world right now, the imbalance that we are seeing uh, can feel quite fearful to people. And that's a normal reaction. I think that there is a a lot of anxiety building. There was a lot of anxiety building about a year ago. You remember October, November, December of 2014, there was anxiety. And then there was a period of kind of denial or calm. And then there was a period where those oil prices clawed their way back up to around $60 a barrel. And I think a lot of people at that point thought, okay, well, maybe it's not going to be maybe quite as bad as we thought. And then everything has happened over the summer months, which we'll get to. And I think it has led to uh, a renewed feeling of uncertainty and uh, um, uh, nervousness and fear and anxiety. So let's get into then talking about some of the imbalances that have been developing around the global economy. As we usually do, we'll talk about Europe, we'll talk about Asia, we'll talk about the US, the broader Canadian economy, and then of course we will focus on what's happening in this province particularly. Let's start then with our European friends, where this balance is always very, very tenuous. It never seems to be great. Uh, The bailouts that we saw, the the negotiations between Greece and the rest of the European Union, the the troika of the IMF and the European Central Bank and the European Parliament, all sort of spearheaded by Angela Merkel and the taxpayers of Germany. You know, this third bailout that they've received, it's really just kind of one more Band-Aid that has provided a little bit of temporary stability, but I'm actually quite pessimistic longer term about what's going to happen in Europe. Uh, These bailouts, the third bailout, you know, offering them hundreds of millions of euros in bailouts just so they can remake the minimum payment on the loans they've already taken. You know, I don't know. There really doesn't seem to be an obvious way out of this imbalance for Greece. And this third, I think they really had no choice but to do it. So I don't criticize them for uh, allowing a third bailout. But I do think that eventually we are going to see worse outcomes in Europe. And probably in 2016 or maybe beyond, uh, an eventual exit of Greece from the European Union. So I don't think any of this drama is over for now. However, with this bailout that we saw in the spring of this year, we at least have a little bit of sense, temporary sense of calm in Europe, but that sort of like this guy on the tightrope, everything is very, very uh, jittery and nervous. And I think we've seen in stock markets in Europe uh, over the summer of 2015, some of that nervousness already taking place. Uh, Just next door to Europe, of course, Russia, things there remain very troubling and very worrisome especially for the rest of uh, the Western world who's watching every move of Mr. Putin and not knowing exactly what he's thinking or what he's scheming next. Now, I always say in these things, I'm not a geopolitical expert. I'm not qualified really to talk about or give predictions what I think uh, Russia is going to do next. 
But I don't know if there are many geopolitical experts who believe that this is all going to kind of wrap up nicely and Mr. Putin will suddenly just play nicely in the sandbox with everybody else. I think everyone is sort of anticipating that there are more aggressive moves on Mr. Putin's mind. This, of course, will, when it happens, if it happens, uh, will prove to be another very destabilizing uh, force causing some imbalance in the global uh, economy. Let's talk about China, because there we've seen some imbalances starting to come home to roost as well in the summer of 2015. For a long time, it looked like China was going to continue to grow, and growth was, you know, growth had, had moderated. It was coming off those double-digit growth rates of maybe a decade ago. And then it looked like growth was sort of nicely moderating to around 7%, 7 or 8%. But now, in the summer of 2015, it appears that all bets are off for China and there is more uncertainty, a lot of question marks hanging over the Chinese economy. Are they really immune from the stock market volatility that they thought they were? I don't know if you remember back in 2009 when we were all just watching with our jaws dropping open what was happening in New York and, and, and Frankfurt and, and Toronto, the stock markets around the world just plunging, whereas the Chinese markets really didn't wobble too much. And at the time in 2009, I think it led to a little bit of sense in China anyway, that you know our command and control economy, we're more immune from the stock market volatility. We've controlled our economy and regulated things in a different way, and therefore we're not subject to the same kind of uh, you know, panic selling that we're seeing in, in New York back in 2009. Well, we saw this summer what happens, in fact, that China's stock markets are by no means immune from uh, panic selling and a lot of volatility. And I think that has opened a lot of people's eyes and maybe made them rethink a little bit uh, investments in China. And even in the last couple of weeks, a lot of very poor economic news. And of course, the government uh, devaluing the, the yuan uh, about 2%, and it's continuing to fall, reflecting that the Chinese economy is maybe not as rock solid as people thought. Now, of course, a lot of this instability and this, this, you know, these new question marks about longer-term growth in China, this, a lot of this is what's behind the plunge in oil prices, which we'll get to in a minute. But you see how all of these things in the global economy are so interconnected. It's really difficult for, you know, to isolate one event somewhere in the world and say it didn't have anything to do with another event somewhere else in the world. And of course, here in Canada and in Alberta, maybe particularly, we are subject to all of this volatility that takes place in places like Europe and Russia and, of course, indeed in China. I'm not sure exactly what's in store for China, but I do think we will probably see more volatility and probably more economic slowdown in the months ahead. Let's talk about our friends to the United States, where balance has been achieved. You can see this guy, he is balancing, yet he still has training wheels on, you know? So it's still kind of a tenuous balance. It's not entirely under control, although there is a... a I guess the illusion uh, or the assumption that the U.S. economy is in control and has found some balance, and it is now advancing and progressing as people would hope. But the training wheels are still there, and I think this has been reflected even in the last week. Comments from the Federal Reserve watching all this stock market volatility around the world, and suddenly now the Fed is sounding a little bit cool towards raising interest rates, which everyone in the market had kind of expected would happen in the U.S. in September. This is now kind of all off the table for now. 
simply because of all the volatility that we've seen in stock markets, including American stock markets. So now the Fed is sounding like, well, hold on, we never promised you know, that interest rates were gonna go up in September. We just sort of thought that might be a good month. If it turns out not to be a good month, we'll hold off on those rate increases until later. Which, of course, has added now more uncertainty for investors in New York. When is the Fed going to move? Are they going to move? What is going to happen to borrowing costs in the United States? And what is exactly the state of the U.S. economy? So that's why they still have those training wheels on, because there remains a lot of question marks still. Even though the U.S. economy, I would argue, is in much healthier shape, certainly than it was five years ago, and probably healthier shape than any of the other industrialized uh, countries in the world at the moment. Uh, so the US is still doing a lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the leading globally, but with the stock market volatility and the Fed backing off their, their uh, anticipated rate increases in September, uh, I think that there is still even a little bit of wobble in the balance there in the US. Let's turn to the Canadian economy and talk about our magically shrinking loony. What's happening to our poor loony? It just seems cruel. You know, we just kind of got used to the idea that the Canadian dollar trades at par and we were sort of feeling okay about that and, you know, people investing in real estate and holidays were cheap and, you know, it all seemed really great for a while. But, you know, over the last couple of years and then much more so in the last few months, we've really seen the, U uh, the Canadian dollar kind of take a big nosedive down to around 76 cents, I think it closed, maybe even a little bit below 75, 76 cents to the US dollar on Friday. Uh, and where is the Canadian dollar going? And where, what, what position does this put the Bank of Canada in? Well, the Canadian dollar, I think, has been more a victim of all the up talk of interest rate increases in the United States. I think the decline that we've seen has really been more a US dollar strength story than a weak Canadian dollar story. But it doesn't leave us off the hook altogether. The Canadian economy has not been uh, performing very well at all. We don't have the numbers in for June yet, and you guys have probably seen these numbers, but January to May, five consecutive months in a row, uh, Statistics Canada tells us that the Canadian economy contracted in every one of those five months. And judging by some of those indicators coming out for June, if we do eke out a little bit of growth in June, it's possible. But even if a little bit of growth in June, it would still probably qualify for that definition of recession. Two consecutive quarters of contraction. Well, this is really lousy news for Mr. Harper at the moment, you know, campaigning in the middle of a campaign and Stats Canada says, yeah, we're in a recession. Uh, you know, a prime minister now who have, has been prime minister during two recessions, not really great when you know, one of his trump cards has been that we're, we're the guardians of the economy. You know, I don't want to make any political comments about uh, if the conservatives have been good guardians of the economy, but the reality is the Canadian economy, uh, for reasons having to do with Mr. Harper or not, the Canadian economy has not been performing very well. It's another reason why the Canadian dollar has been slumping, along with weak commodity prices. Crude oil, of course, we know that story there, but gold and a lot of base metals, copper, all of these prices, these global commodities that Canada is a key exporter of, a lot of these prices have really slumped over the last uh, six to 12 months. So the poor Canadian dollar has been dragged down with it. Where is it going next? 
This is where we'd really like a crystal ball. But I, I don't know. I mean, with the Federal Reserve just this week kind of backing off their, their uh, interest rate increases in September, that I think actually gave the Canadian dollar, didn't push it up, but it gave it a little bit of support. In fact, the US dollar dipped against a lot of currencies this last week. Uh, I guess it depends on where we think the US Federal Reserve or when they will eventually move on rates. But my guess is we're probably in for more rounds of uh, a slumping loony. Some expectations, some of the forecasts I've heard is saying it's going to 69 cents. I don't know if it will or not, but I think probably we'll, we will test lower lows uh, if and when or before it, it returns to you know, uh, maybe that 80 or 82 cent range, which I would think is probably a long-term natural, I don't want to say a natural home for it, but kind of a longer-term average in that low 80s. So we're below that point now. I do think it will test some lower lows before it eventually returns to uh, that 80 cent range. All right, now let's talk about Alberta's economy. Now, we don't have polar bears in Alberta, but I like the picture of this polar bear falling down on the ice. And by the way, there are a lot of pictures on the interwebs of people falling down, but I thought, I mean, they're just hilarious, but I thought, well, it's not really nice. You know, showing a picture of somebody falling down. They could actually be hurt. You know, they could die. I think this polar bear will probably be okay. So I use this polar bear, even though Alberta's not a big uh, polar bear refuge. But we'll let this little polar bear who slipped and fallen uh, represent Alberta. Because this is kind of what's happened. You know, we've, we've kind of hit some ice in the last year. And we're kind of flat on our back right now. We're not dead. But we're, we, we've sort of really been upset. We've lost our balance here in Alberta. Well, what has caused this loss of balance, and where do we think things are going to go next? Well, of course, you know the story here. It's the, the almost singular story in Alberta has been this plunge in crude oil prices. There's almost nothing else that has explained the downturn in Alberta's economy. It's really all about the petroleum industry and crude oil prices in particular. And as I alluded to earlier, you know, back around May or June when those oil prices had clawed their way back up to $60, $62, I think it hit, I was one of those in the camp that were saying, you know, we're probably going to really dodge a bullet. And in June, when we were putting together our most recent forecast, I was still calling for, you know, a very, very weak, very modest growth, but probably avoiding a recession. Well, we will be revising that because right after we released our forecast, oil prices went, you know, and now they're down and dipping below $40 on Friday. Very discouraging, you know, to be in Alberta with these prices where they're at right now. But I would also remind us, this is not unusual. This is not unheard of. You know, it dipped below, it hit $33 back in 2009. That wasn't that long ago. And when you look at the history of oil prices, this is normal, these big swells and big dips, and this is part of what being Alberta is all about. I'm not suggesting it's, it's pleasant or fun, uh, and especially when we talk about uh, there are going to be some job losses, which I'll get to in a little bit, uh, especially when we talk about adjustments in the labor market, it can be very painful and it can be extremely unpleasant, but this is part of the cycle here. Well. When does that balance come back? I suggest that over the last five years, we've just come over five years of very, very strong growth. 2010 to 2014, Alberta saw in every one of those years average growth rates of about 4% real GDP. 
It's almost unprecedented. You can't name another country or state or province in the industrialized world that has shown that remarkably strong growth over that period of time. So it looked like there was some really nice balance taking place, but like this picture, I think the balance that we thought we saw in, in 2010 to 2014, it was a bit of an illusion. In fact, there were some very dangerous imbalances growing. And that's what I wanna talk about and, and focus on when we talk about the imbalance that we are seeing in Alberta right now. What has knocked us flat on our back? Well, the first imbalance I wanna talk about is this, salaries and wages in this province. And by no means do I bring this up to try to embarrass anybody in Alberta, but salaries, wages, and compensation in Alberta have almost been, have grown almost out of control. Let me illustrate with uh, some statistics. So here we have a teeter-totter, and uh, average weekly earnings uh, over the last 10 years in Canada, so this is all employees in all 10 provinces and three territories, Average weekly earnings in Canada over those last 10 years have increased by 29%. That's an average number. In Alberta, they've increased by 48% over that same period of time. So you see what happens when you see an imbalance when wages and salaries and compensation in Alberta are growing that much more quickly. Now, every time I put this up, I know what people in the audience are thinking. They're thinking, wait a minute, my salary has not gone up 48% in the last 10 years. And it's probably true. I mean, maybe there are some of you whose salaries have you know, more than doubled, I don't know. It's probably true that they haven't. And that is because this is an average number meaning that there are some people whose wages and salaries have increased rate far less than 48%, but there are many whose wages and salaries have increased far greater than 48%. This is the problem we always get into as economists when we talk about the average. You might have heard me share this story before, but I love the metaphor. The average, it's like the guy whose head is in a furnace and his feet are in blocks of ice, you know, and the economist comes across this guy and he says, well, on average, you should be comfortable. <laughs> you know, but we know he's in bad shape. He's, he's not comfortable at all, but on average. So sometimes this average number can, you know, give misleading or maybe not quite uh, complete information. But when we drill down to these numbers, so this average number, 48% increase, this is for all Alberta employees over the last 10 years. In oil and gas, it's actually 56%. This is where all the money is. And that 56% increase, this comes in 2005, when already in 05, wages and earnings in the oil and gas sector were already the highest in Canada among any group of workers and their rate of increase has been almost double that of everybody else. Now, like I said, I, I really don't you know, put this up to embarrass anybody who works in oil and gas or to humiliate them or make them feel bad, but I throw this up as a way of illustrating that the cost structure in Alberta's petroleum sector had become seriously out of balance. You might be thinking, well, you know, in the oil sense, it's all those big mega projects. It's equipment and machinery and, and all sorts of materials and engineering. That's what's costing all the money. Well, the reality is when you look at Alberta's overall petroleum sector, 70% of cost, now this is across all, all companies, so it might vary by company, but 70% of cost is labor costs. 
The other 30% are this thing like the big machinery and, and engineering and, and materials and equipment. But 70%, like well over half, almost three quarters, is labor costs, which have gone up 56% in the last 10 years. So you really don't need to be a laureate in economics to figure out, well, what is the problem in the petroleum sector that $40 oil is now a serious, serious crisis or challenge for them? Because as probably a lot of you, if you've been in Alberta for any number of years, hasn't been that many years ago when $40 oil was a really good price. In fact, and you might have heard me tell this story too, back in late uh, fall of 2004, so just about 11 years ago, I was on a radio talk show, and at the time, it was October 2004, at the time, WTI prices were hitting record level highs of $41, $42, $43, and it kept climbing to these almost unimaginably high prices, $43 for WTI. And I was a guest on a radio talk show at the time, and the host asked me, he said, Todd, will oil prices ever hit $50 a barrel? And all I said was, well, I said, probably at some point it will. I don't know when, but, you know, probably. Well, and that's all I said about it. The next day I got to work and I opened my email, and there was an email from some anonymous radio listener uh, who felt it necessary to send me a note, and the subject line read, idiot. <laughs> and <laughs> you can imagine what the body of this email. He went on to call me an idiot. I understand nothing about economics. And his reasoning was this. He said oil could never hit $50 a barrel because if it did, the U.S. economy would be flung into recession and the global economy would stall out, and then oil prices would fall back down. Well, back in, in October of 2004, there was, you know, I didn't like him calling me an idiot, but there was part of what he was saying that seemed to have some sense to it. Because in October 2004, $50 oil seemed like maybe it would be actually unsustainably high. Maybe it would you know, push the U.S. into recession. What U.S. motorist is possibly going to pay $2 a gallon for gasoline, you know? It seemed at the time like they, they just couldn't do it. Well, of course, fast forward almost 11 years, and now $40 oil, $50 oil, it's unsustainably low. Well, how did we, you know, work ourselves into this situation here in Alberta? It isn't the geology of Alberta that has changed in 10 years. You know, it took 40 million years for those hydrocarbon molecules to get under the earth. Uh, in 10 years, what has changed is not the geology. In 10 years, it's been the cost structure, uh, mostly on the back of labor. So now we find ourselves out of balance. That was the imbalance that was growing over the last five years. It's wages, salaries, compensation, bonuses, and overtime in the oil and gas sector. And now we find ourselves in a very uncomfortable position where this all has to unwind. I do wanna talk a little bit about some of the imbalances in the residential real estate market because I know that you're going to be particularly interested in that. And I always have some trepidation when I talk about residential real estate to the RAIN members because you guys, I mean, in a lot of ways, you are the experts in the province about this. I mean, I should be coming to you to ask you, and I do, in fact, uh, because you guys understand the nuances of what's happening in the real estate market much more than I ever will. Uh, that's your sort of job in, in a lot of senses. I kind of look at the residential real estate market from the 65,000 foot view, from the macro view. And I have to confess, I'm a little bit puzzled right now with what's happening. Because so far, none of the indicators are really suggesting much of a correction. 
It's a little bit like, you remember those Wile E. Coyote, the, the, the cartoons, you know, the coyote and Roadrunner, when he goes running off the cliff and he kind of hangs there for a second or two, which you can only do in animation, you know, and he, he thinks he's maybe okay and then he looks down and he realizes he's not okay. I think we're kind of in that suspended animation with the real estate market right now. Now, I don't want to overstate it. I don't think we're going to go plunging to the bottom of the canyon like Wile E. Coyote, you know, and he gets up like an accordion and marches off. But I do think that the, the correction in real estate, we haven't seen it yet. I think it's still too early. Uh, and that is actually quite remarkable too. If you think it's been 14 months since the beginning of this oil price downturn to today, 14 months in a normal cycle should be well long enough to you know, see that correction or that, that downturn in the real estate market. This time around, we haven't seen it really, not yet, not in any pronounced way. In Calgary a little bit, I mean, the housing prices have wobbled, but a 3% you know, price uh, a drop in, in Calgary, we haven't seen it in Edmonton at all, on the price side at all. Housing starts are still keeping up with their normal pace. So we haven't really seen the indicators uh, reflect any sort of downturn. A couple of reasons for that, I think because this time around we are in this world of remarkably low and still falling mortgage rates, I think that has provided an unusual cushion that has provided a bit of a, a base or a, a, some uh, stability for the housing market that in normal downturns we don't see. The other thing, I do think that there has been maybe a sense of optimism in the province of people thinking, well, you know, this is temporary and it's going to improve. Uh, the most recent numbers we have for a lot of these things like housing starts are still June or July. And that was before this most recent price plunge. So my guess is that once things return, uh, once people come back from holidays in September and October, I do think we are in for more rounds of layoffs in the petroleum sector and other sort of peripheral sectors of the economy. And I do think we will start to see the negative impact on the residential housing market in a bigger way in the fall. And I don't like to talk about that, and I really don't, you know, I hope not to worry or panic anyone with this, but I do think it is a reality that, you know, and in some ways this is a normal part of the cycle here in Alberta and in Calgary. Uh, a price correction perhaps of five, maybe 10%. Still, I'm not expecting any Las Vegas style, you know, 40% drop in housing prices. I just don't see that in the cards, at least not yet. But a five or 10% you know, price correction would be enough to really disrupt a lot of people, uh, particularly if they're one of those who are uh, you know, in the must sell if, they're, if they've decided they're picking up stakes and leaving. So I do see more turbulence in the residential housing market uh, in the fall after things come back from Labor Day and after we potentially see more disruption in the labor market. So, just to wrap up then, what is it going to, this by the way is not my dog, my dog could never balance those dog biscuits on, that's quite, you know, if you think about how remarkable that is for a dog to hold that still. Uh, regaining balance, so we've lost balance, the balance has been disrupted in Alberta, what is it going to take for Alberta to regain some of that balance? And I'm suggesting four things are going to have to happen. One is we are going to have to see some rebound in oil prices. Not back to $107 a barrel. I don't think that's necessary. In fact, in a lot of ways, I mean, 
you, you could never say anything is impossible, but if those oil prices went back to $100 a barrel by Christmas, I think it would you know, bring a lot of joy to a lot of people. But I actually don't think that would be in Alberta's best interest. We're not, we don't have to see oil prices rebound to 100, but we will have to see them back, that WTI price anyway, probably around $60. We're a long way from there right now. We'll have to see some rebound in oil prices. We are going to have to see some rebalancing of wages, bonus, salaries, and other costs. And again, I'm looking particularly at the petroleum industry, but other industries as well, which have always been trying to be competitive with wages with the petroleum industry. Now, how does this happen? People say, well, you know, what is, they're gonna just cut everyone's salary 30% and, and carry on. That might be, I mean, we might see some of that happening. I've heard of some companies in the petroleum sector where they've not wanted to lay anybody off. Instead, what they've asked people to do is take a four-day work week and take an 80% compensation uh, and keep their job, at least. And if you know, everyone agrees to that, then uh, at least they don't have to lay people off. Works for the company because they are keeping that experienced workforce there, and they're not gonna have to go back out and try to find them and rehire them in two years or whenever when things are returned to better days. Uh, and it also prevents them having to pay severance to a lot of people. So there is some of that. There might be some, your wages are going to fall 20%, but you get to keep your job. <clears throat> Where we will probably see more rebalancing is outright layoffs. People who will lose their job, where they've become quite accustomed to very, very high earnings, very, very high, uh, high or I guess strong annual bonuses each year. You know, a lot of the bonus structure, and again, I hate to sort of point the finger too much at the petroleum sector, but some of the bonuses uh, that people have become quite accustomed to collecting for the last five years, uh, that is going to dry up very quickly. Um, some of these people, these men and women in the petroleum sector who are experiencing layoffs, some of them might find other work. The one industry right now that's really interesting to me is the transportation and warehousing industry in Alberta. It very quietly, <clears throat> over the last 12 months, it's added uh, employment, it's grown by about 12%. They're hiring people as fast as they can get them. Truck drivers, forklift operators, machinery and equipment operators and warehouses. This part of Alberta's economy is still actually doing pretty well. And 12, 12 months ago, it would have been the trucking companies that were saying, we cannot find truck drivers. We are out of, oh, thank you so much. Gin and tonic. Gin and tonic, that's my favorite. The presentation is gonna get really interesting in a few minutes. <clears throat> Who knows what I'm gonna say next, no. Um, yeah, the, uh, the trucking or the transportation and warehousing industry in Alberta, it's increased employment about 11%. It is finding a lot of really good resumes coming through the door right now for people to uh, operate uh, machinery and transportation equipment, but they are being hired at probably lower wages than what they were making in, in the oil and gas sector. The forestry sector is another one. It's a very small sector in Alberta. Uh, but it is one that is doing well right now. Forestry prices are strong. The housing market in the US is strong. The weak Canadian dollar. All the planets are aligning in the right way for the forestry sector. And now, they're, for the first time in a long time, they are seeing some good resumes coming through the door as well. And they're not having to try to compete with those wages in Fort McMurray. 
So there are some offsetting industries that are finding good hiring opportunities, but they are able to hire people at much lower wages than what they were making in the petroleum sector. So all of this is part of this rebalancing that we are seeing in wages, bonus, salaries, and other costs. Other costs including, say for example, commercial real estate. Uh, you know, four years ago, I remember talking to people at Calgary Economic Development. One of the biggest impediments for companies that have always wanted to get into the Calgary market and establish, you know, sort of a beachhead here and, and establish uh, offices is the cost of commercial office space. They just couldn't find it at the price they were able to pay. Well, over the next 12 months, they're going to find a lot of commercial real estate, and they're probably going to get some pretty good lease deals on it as well. So that, again, is part of the cost structure, not only in wages and salaries, but operating costs for companies. We'll have to see that happen. Uh, the other thing is we're going to have to see some strong performances in the other non-energy sectors. I mentioned transportation. I mentioned forestry. Uh, the other two sectors, agriculture and tourism. Agriculture, I mean, I was really optimistic back in March and April of this year for agriculture. Unfortunately, it has turned into a real disappointment, uh, simply because of the growing conditions for the crops. Um, drought, you know, no rain when we needed it, and now too much rain when they don't need it. The only positive side for uh, agriculture is livestock prices. Cattle prices are still through the roof. Uh, but don't talk to any rancher these days about, oh, aren't you so happy about your high cattle prices? Because they're being crushed on feed costs. So their margins and their profits are you know, being whittled away very quickly because the price of feed is so expensive right now and pasture land is too dry. So agriculture really hasn't come together as I hoped it would. Uh, tourism, though, has been a bright spot. And that, for a lot of communities and, and towns and cities across the province, uh, is an important driver. Banff, I mean, there was an article, maybe you saw it in the, was it in the Herald or the, the, the Edmonton Journal? Uh, the, the Banff has had their best tourism season ever. You know, and a lot of that is because U.S. travelers are back uh, uh, traveling, and the low Canadian dollar has made it, it more um, less expensive for those uh, U.S. tourists to spend money. So we're going to have to see those other industries pull together and uh, see some good results there. And finally, we are going to have to see a continued low Canadian dollar. Now, this is one of those things I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not cheering down the Canadian dollar. I, you know, a lot of ways I wish the Canadian dollar was back at above, uh, back at par for the fact that everything we import and our holidays and all of those things, if the Canadian dollar is worth more, we are wealthier as Canadians if we're holding our assets in Canadian dollar denominated uh, uh, assets. But a low Canadian dollar, I think, is the cushion that not only Alberta, but Canada needs right now. Uh, fortunately, I don't see the Canadian dollar, as I mentioned, I don't see it going anywhere except probably a little bit lower in the short run. But we are going to need those four things come together before we see some rebalancing in Alberta. That then poses a question, when do we expect all of those things to come into place? Well, I don't expect to see all those things come into place any time in 2015. I think the rest of 2015 is going to be a pretty difficult slog. And again, that's, the, that's the, the message that I don't like to give, but I have to be realistic about it. Uh, 20, uh, so probably a modest recession in 2015. Like I said, I haven't, uh, we haven't quite put together all of our, we haven't run our models yet for our October 1st uh, release, but when we do release our numbers in October, almost certainly we will be now expecting a modest recession for Alberta in 2015. Um, 
Higher unemployment, I do think that the unemployment rate, the last number month we have is, of course, July, uh, rising to 6% unemployment. Uh, that is the highest in Western Canada at the moment, by the way. It is still a fair amount below uh, Central Canada, where the unemployment rate is still above 7%, or high 6.8% in Ontario, I think. So we're, we're still you know, doing okay relative to Central Canada, but I do expect that unemployment rate will tick higher in the fall. Uh, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I do think we will see more waves of layoffs after Labor Day. Difficult to fire people when they're on holiday. Also, just not very nice. And also, if you're an employer, you kind of want those employees to use up their holiday time, right? You know, when they come back, you know, then, then lay them off. They've used up all their holiday time, so you don't have to pay them for that. You know, so there's some, there's some economics around the timing of layoffs, too. But I do think, you know, uh, and I think a lot of people are bracing for it, I do think uh, we will see more rounds of layoffs in the fall. Uh, so that unemployment rate, I would expect over the next uh, six to eight months, probably tick uh, to 7%, maybe even a bit higher. That sounds shockingly high for Alberta, but I will remind us that it was only in 2009, six years ago, when the unemployment rate was also that high. You know, and then things returned to normal and the unemployment rate fell. 2016, I think we will see a return to very modest growth, but below the national average. So Alberta, uh, for 2015 and 2016 anyway, it loses its title as you know fastest growing or one of the fastest growing provinces. It's going to move from the top of the pack for a little while, probably close to the bottom of the pack or at least the middle of the pack. Again, this isn't pleasant, but this is a, a, a typical cycle in Alberta. By 2017, however, I think we can anticipate brighter days. Now, why do I say that? Well, those four bullet points that I said, this is what we need for the rebalancing to take place. I do see those energy prices returning to that $60 range eventually. Might even happen much sooner, you know, mid-2016. Uh, they can't really stay this low forever. You know, what economists call the marginal price of oil. In other words, what's the cost of the last barrel of oil that's being extracted out of the earth? The price of that barrel to extract it is the marginal cost. So there's no reason why the traded price on the, the New York Mercantile Exchange, why the WTI price has to be at that marginal cost. It can rise way above it. When it was 107, that was way above the marginal price. It can go way below at $40, but there is a sort of a sense of gravity that is going to be pulling that number higher or lower to back to uh, that equilibrium or that marginal price, you know, about $65 or $70. So barring any sort of absolute, you know, economic catastrophe in the global economy, like an absolute collapse of China's economy, I mean, this could happen, but it's not my forecast. But you know, those sorts of events aside, I do see oil prices by 2017 returning to uh, something close to what we can make money off here in the province and those other uh, um, bullet points as well. So I do see some rebalancing by mid to, to late 2016 and certainly 2017 growth in the province returning something closer to what we're used to here in Alberta. 
So with that, I will uh, conclude. Uh, Don mentioned a little bit earlier in the introduction to the OWL. It's atb.com slash economics. Uh, and it is a once a day quick dose of, of some economic indicator. We look at a different one every morning. Uh, something that's going on in Alberta um, and always sort of focused on a very short, quick read. So if you want to subscribe to that, it is, of course, entirely free. Uh, so I invite you to do that. If you want to check me out on my website or Twitter, uh, you could, I invite you to do that as well. But with that, I want to thank you for your attention. Do we have time, Don, for questions? Or? How, about, um, how about you, if it's okay if you hang out sure. afterwards for uh, those who want to ask the questions? Yeah, sure. And I've got, got a whole gin and tonic thing, so I'm... There's a, there's, a, there's, a few, there's a few things. Um, first off, that's pure realism. That's why Todd Hirsch is here. Give it up to Todd Hirsch, everybody. Thank you. Now, a couple of things. I want you to notice the level of, of uh, clapping that you got this time and applause versus during the really boom times when they're cheering you. <laughs> a little bit different. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that. But uh, secondly, um, uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it was you the whole time. Don't caught me again. <laughs> I've actually got that email about 17 times in my life, and yeah. I'll tell you. Um, you know, that, that, the nice to see the perspective of the 10 years, and, uh, and, and I keep trying to bring people back to that. that. Of course, the game is a little bit different today than it was in 2009, and uh, what the Saudis and the Russians and on the Chinas and all that stuff is going on. But... It wasn't that long ago that we were sitting in a very, very similar, even worse position than we are today. So it, that perspective is fantastic. Um, values down five to 10%. What do we start the day with? Pragmatism. So what do you do? When they send you the renewal document, you sign it and send it back, right? That's the t this, this is the moments when if values are dropping and they're sending a renewal document for your mortgage, you just sign it and don't go and negotiate. Just go, yeah, sure. Hey, perfect. And, Now's also a good time to really start to be proactive in your management, both residential and I know we're talking commercial and industrial um, this weekend. So those things are incredibly important, but we can't do any of this stuff without this kind of information and um, without getting back and trying to de-emotionalize, which is very difficult in Alberta when the, when, during these roller coasters, and get back to the facts and the figures and the perspective. And I want to thank you, say thank you from the bottom of my heart Thanks, uh, for, for helping us see uh, the world as you see it. So, Todd. Thanks for inviting Thank you so very, very much. Appreciate okay. it. So that was Todd Hirsch's presentation on August 2015. Oil prices are going to be up. Oil prices are going to be down. Real estate prices are going to be up. And real estate prices are going to be down. But what is the main takeaway? The main takeaway is that right now, there's a lot of confusion in the market. Within confusion, there is opportunity, but you also have to be extra cautious. So I hope you enjoyed that presentation. I hope you took lots of notes. Please share it with as many people as you'd like, because it's all about information. And the more informed you are, the more strategic you are. Until next time, I'm Don Campbell signing off. Thanks for listening and engaging with the Real Estate Insider podcast. A bold look at reality. Share the reality.